0: Hi, it's Steve Albrecht and welcome to the Library Service, Safety, and Security podcast. Thanks to Steve Hargadon, the producer and founder of Library 2.0. And my topic for this half hour is succession planning and mentoring. Both of these go together. And as a library leader, you need to look to how you develop other library leaders for when you move on to a new assignment, you move on to a promotion, or you get ready to retire. A lot of my work in this area has come from working in with local government leaders, department heads, department directors, people who are in positions who have worked in city government and county government for a really long time and then they come to a crossroads where they're going to retire and they look around and say well is my number two person who works you know right under me the obvious choice to take over for my position? The answer may be possibly or possibly not. Let's look at what mentoring is all about as part of succession planning. Let's start by admitting that succession planning is not a top priority for many leaders, even those considering retirement or moving on to a new position in another library system. Think about your approach to succession planning as something that's going to take a span of time, perhaps even six months or up to a year, as you develop certain candidates for leadership positions that perhaps they can move up to one level higher in their current position, and then you have a certain candidate, one or two people that you are considering to move up to your position. So if you think about the concept of mentoring as a driver for succession planning, we should always be mentoring our employees and coaching them anyway. But with succession planning as the primary goal, you can think about the things that you need to do to specifically get one or two people to be ready to promote to your next level. When you think about succession planning from a government standpoint, oftentimes it's different than it would be in the private sector where we choose somebody and there may not be an interview process, there may just be a selection process. But in government, whether it's union or non-union, we have certain protocols that need to be followed that are typically civil service driven, which could be exams and, and testing and promotional activities that, that a group of people or a panel of people may have to um, oversee. And, and so if you have an idea for one particular candidate mind, they may have to go through a process in order to get hired to your position. So I'm not saying that it's generic for everybody. If you look at your particular library system, what are the barriers, obstacles, the bureaucracies that may exist that prevent you from just choosing somebody to take your position as you leave or retire? There's typically some kind of process in place to make it fair for everybody, to make it possible that, that other people who are also qualified for the position, maybe even from outside the library system, can come and, and put in for the job as well. If you have the luxury in your library system of being able to say, I will put a number of people through a selection process over a span of time, several six months, or maybe even a year, I will provide the leading candidates as I narrow them down uh, with the skills and and tools and and, uh, knowledge that they need to move forward and then choose uh, one person to take over in my stead and have that be approved by library board or something like that. Maybe that is possible without having to go through the typical civil service process. So think about what your approach is to getting um, somebody to take over for your position and then what are the steps that you need to do to make that happen. So let's start with a definition of terms. You may have been a, in a position in your career where several times perhaps you have been mentored by somebody to help you get to the next level in your particular uh, facility where you worked. And, and you know what those skills look like that that person did for you on your behalf. Uh, we define a mentor as a wise and trusted counselor and role model. Uh, somebody who provides guided support and teaching or leading others to their own success. We defined the mentoring process, and this is kind of a quote, uh, the process where an experienced, highly regarded, empathic person, the mentor, guides another individual, the protege or the mentee or the coachee in the development and re-examination of his or her own ideas, learning, and personal and professional growth. And we can also define the process of mentorship as a legacy building tool for succession planning and one of my colleagues in a city government says you know I, I built this this department up and and i don't just want to turn it over to anybody i don't want to let my baby play with razor blades i want to find someone who will nurture and support what i have done through the span of my career and i want to be careful as to who i put in this position i want to make sure that i am leaving that person with the knowledge and tools and 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 um, institutional knowledge about what to do in the right place, so they can be successful when I'm gone. And in my post-library career as a retiree, or if I've moved on to another career area, or I've moved on to a new library facility, I want to know that I've left my current position in good hands and in good stead. So we think about the concept of mentoring. We say, what? Why do we do it? It provides the protege or the mentee or the coachee, uh, let's just call that person the employee, uh, with feedback and support from you. It helps them set personal and professional and educational or certification goals that you help them with. It helps them do what they need to do to promote or move on to other positions, and maybe yours or another position in your library system. It's certainly a leadership development tool for your entire library system or for your city or your county and it helps certainly in the succession plan discussion. And I see a lot of things happen in succession planning, I work mostly in in, uh, government my entire career, where certain people don't feel like they can retire when they want to because they're unsure or anxious or uncertain as to who's gonna take over for them in, in the work, and so you wanna be able to leave with a clear conscience that you feel comfortable that the projects and the processes and the people that you have led, these things will continue in good stead when you're gone. So I first need to answer some questions. First off, let's start by defining mentoring as different than coaching. Coaching has a performance or a behavior improvement goal typically, whereas mentoring is a long-term discussion. It is a focus on the future. It is a focus on what this person needs to do to develop over a span of time the skills and talents and tools, and knowledge, and expertise to be able to take over to the next highest level that they want to promote to. Um, Not every supervisor wants to promote to the next highest level. Not every supervisor wants to be a library director. Not every manager wants to be a library director or an assistant director. Some people are comfortable in their role, and that's fine. One of the issues I've seen with some supervisors, especially uh, managers and supervisors, when they look to their employees, you know, to the staff level, to the frontline level. They say, well, why don't these people want to achieve more? And why don't they want to do what I'm doing? And why don't they want to take on these additional responsibilities? Don't they want the pay and, and the excitement and the challenges? And sometimes the answer is no. They're happy doing the work that they do. And in fact, they're skilled at doing the things that they do and they don't want to do more work and they're not interested in supervising people. One of the things that we have noticed as when you become supervisors, you stop doing a lot of the work that you originally liked to do. Now it's about budgets and finances and meetings and emails and handling patron complaints and, and coaching people and meeting with friends of the library or library boards or meeting with elected officials and things like that. There's lots of things that, that take you away from the work that you used to do. So sometimes some employees will say, you know, I like working in the library, I don't want to be a supervisor that employee is a good candidate for coaching, for certainly for performance or behavior issues, but not necessarily a a reasonable candidate for mentorship to promote to the highest level because that's not what he or she wants to do. So part of your first process is to define who would be in a mentor-mentee relationship You can coach every employee that you have, full-time, part-time, volunteers, whoever it happens to be at any moment for performance or behavior issues, but mentorship and the mentee-mentor relationship, that long-term focus on developing somebody to take over for your position is a much different role than coaching. I'm gonna use a phrase in our discussion here called homework, and I'm gonna put that phrase in quotes. When I talk about giving a mentee or an employee homework to do, and I use that phrase in quotes, it means I want them to do it at work. We don't give people book reports and assignments to do and say, here, take, these, take this home and, and do this at work. Uh, I mean, not at work, we have them do it at work because it is a work assignment. So when I say homework, it is work they do on work time. You may send people that you are mentoring to certain websites. You may send them to self-directed quizzes, uh, self-assessment instruments, you know, things like 16PF and Myers-Briggs and Mindex and things like that. You may um, give them videos to look at, series of uh, videos that have, um, you know, leadership development uh, programs that you have access to. You may send them to various training programs that are online or live that you have have, uh, gone through yourself and found valuable. You may give them books to read, articles to read, things like that. So that type of homework is done during work hours, and I hope that makes sense to you. One of the challenges of the mentor role is that you can see how you enjoy learning, how you enjoy to be taught, how you enjoy to be coached in a coaching process may not be what the employee is comfortable with. They may have a much more introverted approach, they may have a more extroverted approach, they may be much more hands-on about things, they may want to digest information that you have given them over a span of time and not give you an immediate answer. So you have to look at the people that you are mentoring and say, my learning style, my learning approach, how I like to teach or how I like to be taught is not necessarily theirs. And so we have to have a good connection there between the best exchange of information, putting it in terms that are useful for them, not necessarily how you would do it uh, if it was in your situation in reverse. We say, it's not what I want, it's what this person needs. It's not how I like to be taught, it's how this person needs to be taught. The other thing about mentorship process is it's not a guarantee, it's not a prediction of a, of a promotion for this person. So you can't say, you know, you're a shoe-in and you know go ahead and go out and buy the second beach house because you're going to be a rich rock star when, when I put you in this new position. That may or may not happen. So it's not a guarantee of a promotion and it is not a predictor of what your government agency might do. Uh, we've all seen with recessions and layoffs and budget downturns and things like that, that things change. So there is a concept in HR called the bright future concept. And the bright future promise is actually an error that sometimes supervisors, managers, directors, leaders make with a really a shining star employee. The bright future example is when you say, oh, we could never get rid of you. You're, you're way too valuable here. You're my right-hand person. You're, you're, I, can't, I can't function without you. We'll, we'll never get rid of you. And that employee, when they are laid off, in some downsizing, or reduction in force, or economic downturn, has a viable litigation case against the organization and say, hey, I was promised a job here. I was promised future employment. I was promised that I could continue even when other people were let go. Don't give people the bright future speech. You can certainly give people praise. You can certainly thank them for what they're doing, but don't make promises that say, oh, we'll never get rid of you, you're way too valuable, because that stuff sometimes comes back to backfire. One of the challenges that we have seen in coaching meetings, whether it is for performance or behavior, is what I would call demonstrated use of the tools or proof of success. You tell an employee to do a certain thing, work a piece of software, or do something different in terms of a procedural process, you want to see that they have demonstrated those use of the new tools. And we give an employee specific guidelines about performance or behavior issues, training things, interactions with co-workers or patrons service service fixes things like that we want to see that they have used the tools that we have talked about and it can be more difficult and more challenging with mentorship conversations and mentor processes with people to say a lot of these skills that we are talking about with this employee are long term and let's say that you know one of the, the driving factors in a, a part of your job is public speaking where you have to speak to library groups elected officials and and to uh, community groups and and give presentations in front of councils and things like that. That may be a skill set that they have to develop over a span of time, which could take months or even years. Their strengths in certain areas could be weaknesses in others, and those are the things that you want to focus on. So when you look at the goals for coaching, it is sometimes immediate compliance or immediate behavior change or immediate performance change. When you look at the goals for mentorship, it is, especially for succession planning, it is a longer-term touch. It is a longer-term involvement, a longer-term immersion into certain subjects, which they may have not a lot of skills and knowledge and and have some anxiety about, and it takes some time to to get up to speed, whereas certain things in the coaching process could be an immediate fix. So again, for mentorship, you look at the long-term focus. For coaching, we look at, at an immediate fix, and we look at the demonstrated use of the tools. For mentorship, we want to see a demonstrated use of the tools, public speaking skills, budget skills, leadership skills, uh, HR skills, coaching skills, things that, that good leaders have, successful leaders have, but it may take a longer time for us to, to see in the person that these things have been talked about, anchored, developed, and then demonstrated going forward. So if you look at the mentorship process, I'm reminded of what my psychologist friends tell me that every time they come in contact with a client, with a patient in the clinician's office in the counseling setting, they look at those interactions from start to finish. So they may look out in their office and see how the person is sitting in the lobby. Are they anxious? Are they talking with somebody else? Are they pacing in the room? Are they asleep? I mean, these are all cues and, and things that this clinician will pick up for every time they look out and see somebody. I use the same sort of sense, which is every day that you are talking with one of your employees in a mentor role, you have the time to evaluate, you have the time to observe, you have the time to make some impressions, you have the time to to correct some, some thought processes you have about what this person can or cannot do, you have a chance to overcome some of your biases about some of their strengths or weaknesses. You say, well, they're not very numbers oriented in which case I'm going to have to spend more time on the budget process. That may or may not be true, but we want to make sure that we look at the long-term exposure and we say it is a journey, a step-by-step. So it may take several meetings, several conversations for them to get a basic budget concept. It may take several conversations, several meetings, many meetings for them to get some of the more significant uh, HR Um, Concepts, especially those things related to uh, legal issues, personnel issues, things related to supervising people, um, union issues, um, uh, memos of understanding, things like that. So I think you have to have as a mentor, you have to have a lot of patience and say that every time I engage with my mentee, the person I'm talking to, the person I have high hopes for, every time I'm engaging with that person, we are building a brick wall and the wall of skills is brick by brick. And so it's a, it's a conversation walking down the hallway about an event that we both saw that happened out in the, in the stacks. It is a conversation in my office about a personnel issue. It is a conversation about an opportunity to promote or to to take some sort of a test or get some certification, whatever happens to be. And these are step-by-step journeys. So look at the mentorship relationship every time you engage with that employee to give this person commands, to give them delegated assignments, to give them instructions, to give them instructions to pass on to other people or delegated tasks to have other people do. These are all these learning moments that you can say, this is an opportunity for me to continue as part of. Of our regular workday are a course correction, so to speak, towards this mentorship relationship, which is every time I'm meeting with this person, I'm trying to teach them a little bit at a time. And this sort of goes to a, a communications method that the mentorship process can follow by using every communication approach that we can think of. You can coach and mentor somebody over the phone. You can do it face-to-face in your office. You can do it walking down the hallway, what we call corridor coaching. You can do it in, in social situations where you're having a cup of coffee. You can do it in situations where you're at a, you're at a conference or a training program or you're at, a, you're at a library conference and you're walking and talking with this person about some of the things that you're experiencing or they're experiencing. Look to those examples of ways of teaching moments for the things that you think are important for them to know. The other thing I'm I'm interested in, especially in the mentorship relationship, is how we address, as a mentor to the mentee, to the coachee, how we address what we would call, or I would call, SDBs. That stands for self-defeating behaviors. SDBs are things that are obstacles, and sometimes they're self-created by the employee, that make it hard for them to be successful. So you say, I have this person whos I've got high hopes for in terms of a promotion opportunity or, or a movement into my position, but their attendance is horrible. And that's a self-defeating behavior. And they can't seem to get to meetings on time. They don't start their meetings on time. Employees get frustrated when, when there's, there's no action or activity about something which should have started 15 minutes ago. So that's a self-defeating behavior. You look at, at, at an employee who you are thinking about in a mentorship role, and this person has a problem with their temper or this person has a problem with the quality of their work or the, or not meeting deadlines, or this person has an, an issue with being impatient with with uh, the people that he or she supervises. When you think of those self-defeating behaviors, that has to be, as part of the mentorship relationship, a focus of conversation, to say these are the things that are holding you back. A self-defeating behavior are things that are holding you back from being successful and from, from moving in your career to the next level, so that's what we're gonna focus on. And, and I guess it goes back to sort of a, a, a pro sports coaching modality, which is the best football, basketball, hockey, baseball players have coaches who are skilled at getting the best out of them. And so they sometimes say, well, let's work on what you do well, but let's really work on your weak points. Let's, let's practice and drill on those things that you, you don't do as well as the other things. And so there's a tendency in human behavior and organizations as well to say, well, let's focus on the stuff that's positive and that we do well and that I like and it's fun to talk about. And sometimes you have to get in and say, these are the self-defeating behaviors that I see in you, mentee, that we need to address. And these things are going to be holding you back from promoting. These things are holding you back from success to moving to the next level. And and when I think about the self-defeating behaviors, it takes courage on your part to draw them out, and it certainly takes courage on the employee's part to talk about them. But they are necessary, the self-defeating behavior issue can be really holding somebody back from success. As part of the mentorship conversation, I like the concept of of self-discovery questions. And self-discovery questions are things that you ask kind of an open-ended nature to the person to say, what would you do if you were in charge? If you were a boss for a day, if you were me for a day, what would you do differently if the first thing, you know, what would you do the first week that you're in charge here? And that can lead to a, a, a surprising conversation, a, a, an invigorating conversation, a depressing conversation, it depends, right? So that kind of open-ended, extractive self-discovery type questions, you can say, you know, things like, tell me what you like about your job, tell me what you don't like about your job. What drives you most crazy about the people that you supervise? What drives you most crazy about the patrons? What do you find most rewarding and self-satisfying in the work that you do with your, your employees, the people that you supervise? What is it that you find most satisfying about the patron relationship? What is the most satisfying for you about the customer service relationship? Who in this organization is your biggest challenge? And then what is your biggest challenge? What is working well for you in this department? What's not working well for you? What kind of obstacles, bureaucracies, uh, things that you see that, that, that are choke points that, that you would eliminate if you could touch it with a magic wand. And I often use the magic wand uh, e- example in coaching to say, what would you do if you could touch this particular problem, this obstacle with a magic wand, what would the fix look like? And sometimes we work backward fr- backwards from what a perfect world would look like to something that's more possible. You know, one of the things you can look at for these self-discovery questions is to look at their relationships and say, who do you have the most positive relationships with of the people that you work with as peers, peer supervisors, peer managers? Who do you have the most positive relationships with with your employees? And then certainly flip that question around and say, okay, let's let's change the approach and say, who do you struggle with? Who do you have the most challenging relationships with amongst your peers? Who drives you crazy amongst your peers? Who who is the most challenge for you as a manager or supervisor for the people that you that you um, s- supervise, that your subordinates? Those kinds of relationships. So when you think about those kind of self-discovery questions, it's it's a f- a function of your mentorship process to get them talking about these types of global issues, global leadership issues, but also rubber meets the road, specific person, specific behavior, specific example type things. Um, um, Talk about, you know, asking self-discovery questions about what tools or techniques would you use for this particular problem? What tools or techniques would you use for this long-term issue? Uh, What tools or techniques would you use to handle this type of project? Um, how um, How do you plan to organize the projects and the tasks that need to be done? What is the physical process for you to keep track of all the myriad things that need to be done? Uh, which approach will you use when you handle a capital improvements issue or an, or a, an, a high, high dollar equipment purchase issue or a high uh, book collection purchase uh, decision? What are the tools, what decision make, making will you do for these t- types of things? So again, we're looking at self-discovery questions. We're looking at the employee to kind of um, um, expose some perhaps weak points, expose some strong points. Uh, tell you their philo- philosophy, their sort of approach to how they would do certain things, and, and that makes perfect sense to you, or you've got some qualms. Uh, it, it sounds reasonable to you, or you need to make some adjustments, and they need to see this particular project or this particular issue in a different light. So I like the example of self-discovery questions. So if you look at at part of the leadership responsibilities of somebody in a new position, oftentimes their focus could be on what they do best. Maybe it's it's the information part of their job, it's the research part of their job, it's the the book collections, it's the library library managership behaviors of running the library. And then we say, this person probably, if we had to make a value judgment, their weak point would be their people skills. Uh, they may be introverted to the degree they don't enjoy talking with their employees. They have uh, challenges for certain types of employees who can kind of uh, run hard over them in terms of, of uh, you know, requests and, and, com- and demands and, and making life sort of difficult in terms of conflict, and so they avoid those employees and they don't have conversations about those things. So look for some weak points in their approach and say, that's the stuff we want to focus on, and, and get them more comfortable in, in listening skills with employees, and get them more comfortable in handling challenging personnel issues with employees. Uh, it's easy to do things that involve the equipment and the machines and the computers and the emails and things like that. It's much tougher, as you know from your experience, in dealing with people face-to-face, whether it's patrons or employees and employees who bring their their challenges and their issues that cross over from home to work and that coaching modality that that a new leader has to be able to do as well as a new leader must be able to delegate to other subordinate leaders to do things on his or her behalf. So can you create some scenarios that are involving challenging conversations with an employee or a group of employees where we really need to focus on the mentee's listening skills? And I've been really focusing on this a lot myself because I, A, I need to work on my own listening skills from time to time, but I, I oftentimes see people, especially under stress that just cannot have the types of listening skills that can create good solutions. Uh, And it it drives me crazy to see um, uh, people waste time in conversations for things that could have been handled, but there's just not a sense of connection about what the subject was. People are distracted by their phones and screens and everything else. So I, I look at, especially for new leaders, the strength of being a good listener is part of the coaching process, part of the mentorship process to say, one of my things to help you with is to develop your listening skills to the highest degree. So there's lots of things to focus on in the mentorship relationship. And one of the things I, I, I consider as a, as a key core element is career development. And career development puts them in the right position, and again, it could take a year, could take take six months, could take two years, depending on your personal timeline is when you want to leave your job or retire or promote to something else to get them to where they want to be. But think about the career development goalposts, the, the milestones, for them to reach that may have been similar in your career? Uh, What kind of formal education um, improvements can they make? Certifications, uh, personal and professional certifications, especially in the library world, especially related to things that are not necessarily library-driven, but maybe HR-driven or IT-driven or finance-driven, things like that. Um, What kind of exposure can you give them to in-house training programs or outside training programs that they need to have on their personal, professional resume to promote to the next level? What kind of informal education are you giving them? These are the books that I read that changed my career. These are the the articles, websites I typically go to to keep track of the trends in this profession. These are the groups or associations that I have belonged to or continue to belong to from a management perspective, a leadership perspective, from a library perspective that have supported me and given me guidance and and my own mentorship and professional contacts and colleagues in these arenas have been very useful. I want to start taking you to these lunches, taking you to these meetings, taking you to these conferences, um, asking you to take leadership roles or board positions or volunteer positions uh, on committees, things like that, to develop your connection to these types of groups, which has helped you a lot as well. So let's talk about delegated tasks and new responsibilities for the mentor-mentee relationship where you are giving your mentee, the person that you are thinking about for the the rise and change in their position to the next level, you're giving them delegated tasks which is not just adding new things onto their plate but creating a sense of of, of confidence for new tasks, new assignments that you have to do. And one of the ways to do that is 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 to have them sit in your chair for the day and say, I'll, I'll guide your process, but I want you to take over the decisions, take over the projects, take over the processes, take over the conversations, take over the meetings for a day. And so I will sit back and observe and I will, I will give you feedback uh, you know, at the end of, a, end of the day, or if we have you do it for several days or for a week, um, I will give you feedback about, about the things that I have seen positively and, and, and with some feedback for the things that might need some changes. Um, you know the, the evolution from that process would be to say, okay, I'm going on vacation for a week, you're gonna take over the department for a week. You're gonna take over the library for a week. You're gonna take over this particular uh, area or project for the week. And then when I get back, let's talk about what, what went well, what didn't go so well, what challenges you faced, what successes that you had, that type of thing. So you're putting this person into the command chair, the driver's seat, so to speak, in situations which are low, Not I'm not gonna say low stress, but low impact, in terms of you know, it's not going to ruin the entire project if they make some mistakes while you're gone for a couple of days, but but that confidence building that can come f- from when they say I'm successful here, I was able to do things uh, without my boss having to so- supervise or oversee what I did. Uh, I got good results when when my boss was out of town. I mean that's a real confidence builder in the mentorship relationship. Okay, so let's talk now specifically, we've talked a lot about the mentorship relationship. We t- let's talk specifically about succession planning. Succession planning is your ability to develop one or more people that can take over your job when you leave to promote or retire or go somewhere else. And the succession planning process is a systematic approach where we are building a leadership pipeline or what we would call a talent pool to ensure leadership continuity, to ensure that our Department, our library, our our facility is run in a professional manner even after we're gone. We find people and our potential successors who have the best or are the best fit, who have the strengths that we need to take over. Not necessarily meaning that they they manage or supervise or lead just like we do, but that they can take over in these in these situations. We are identifying, as part of the succession planning process, the best candidates for a several positions. It may be your job and maybe other people's jobs look at the, and this is an interesting uh, conversation to have, especially with department directors is, look at the demographic of age in your library and say, who's getting ready to retire? And what you may find out is there's sort of a, what they call an age bulge, which is you may have people in, you know, in the late fifties, early sixties, part of their career in terms of their age who are considering retirement. And and you may have more than, and several of those people than you consider. And what may happen is you can create accidentally Uh, a leadership vacuum where you say, you know, four or five people are going to retire right around the same time, and we need to have people in place, ready, trained up, and prepared and confident to take over those positions so we're not caught flat-footed. I'm interested in how sometimes some organizations, we will wait until the last possible minute, and then we have a lot of acting director positions and acting assistant directors, and and that's fine in some situations, but oftentimes there are people in placeholder positions that aren't skilled or qualified or comfortable or don't want to be in those positions, but have had to take over because of circumstances of retirement. So we're trying to, as part of the succession planning process, concentrate our human resources on the the people who are going to give us the best return on our investment of time and energy and coaching to put them into positions where they can be successful after we are gone. So for any succession plan to be successful, a couple success factors have to exist. One, the senior leaders have to be personally involved. It can't be a, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, I'm I'm too busy, Um, I'll delegate that to somebody else. You have to take a mentorship role, which means you have to be personally involved. You must hold yourself personally and professionally accountable for the work that you're doing and that you're not just saying well i'll have a couple meetings every few weeks and see what happens this is more like an investment of your time something that you have to block out and say i will spend on a weekly basis on a daily basis whatever it happens to be time with my mentee making sure he or she is continuing to get the skills and the education and the knowledge and the transfer of knowledge from me to them that i think is going to be useful for them um, we asked that the, the employees who are involved in the mentorship process are committed to their own self-development. If they don't want to promote, it's not useful or necessary for us to drag them to the next level that they don't want to go there. If we have people that say, yes, I do want to move to the, to the next level. Yes, I want to be in the, in, the, in the driver's seat. Then that kind of self-directed self-initiative is the folks that we're looking for. And again, our success in the mentorship process is a long-term commitment. It may have... The fruition it may bear fruit, so to speak, two years down the road from when you started. And the other part of that, and I think this is the uh, conversation that sometimes doesn't get get uh, made, is that succession planning has to be connected to your library strategic plan. And I think the strategic plan is something that comes out of consultants, it comes out of meetings, it comes out of retreats, it comes out of out of uh, focus groups and things like that. And oftentimes it is a document that looks really impressive and is is full of ideas and platitudes and things like that but may not be what operates or drives the the facility operates or what drives the departments I have said the same thing before which is the strategic plan must be connected to how we do performance evaluations are we evaluating people especially our managers supervisors and leaders with regard to how well they are achieving the strategic plan and these things have to be connected. So when you look at succession planning, you must 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 connect your activities in succession planning to the leadership as a as a group or or with you in particular or with your your peer leaders as well. You must connect it to the employees that you are are mentoring so that they can see the connection between the succession plan and what you are asking them to do because they are connected. And it's not just it's not just fuzzy platitudes about You know shepherding the process and taking care of the facility and growing the collection all the things sometimes we see in library uh, in library uh, strategic plans it has to be connected to some concrete actions and behaviors that the mentee can start to learn and or demonstrate going forward so in order to coach or provide mentorship off of the strategic plan, you have to know the strategic plan. You have to expose your mentee to the strategic plan. It's part of the succession planning process to say you should know this document pretty well backwards and forwards. And we should drive a lot of our discussions about the mentorship process through data and analysis and information and not just sort of seat of the pants or intuition, but what the what the the data, the analytics sometimes tell us about operating the the library. Dollar figures, budgets, employees, full-time hours, part-time hours, all these things are part of this data cohort that that people have to know as as they rise up in the organization. So we look at, at putting people into situations where they are also knowledgeable about how they can rely on other department heads. So you as a library leader know that you can turn to human resources. You can turn to your, your genealogy or collections or, or um, union reps or uh, human resources reps, you know how to speak to elected officials and city managers and county administrative officers and city attorneys and things like that. So you are are bringing the mentee with you to those meetings, as long as they're not confidential and not for their ears. But, but you're bringing this person along to observe the process and watch the engagement and see how you run these things. And so succession planning is is an exposure to that person of a new vocabulary, a new set of information, a new set of of financials that he or she may not know very well or be comfortable with, but it's time for them to learn. And so I look at succession planning as part of our diversity uh, discussions in organization. How are we being diverse in our succession planning as well? How are we being um, um, focused on on, uh, how we recruit Uh, the right people into positions especially for those people that want to grow in their job in the library and that we want to create a path for them to do that and also succession planning is a reward for people who have stayed so it is a reward for retention it is a reward for people who have have stayed for years and years and done the work and demonstrated competencies in areas that that they need to so these things are all connected as we look at succession planning going forward. So here are some concepts as we wrap up this discussion about succession planning and thinking about the mentorship role and the succession planning role, succession process as you look to uh, leave your position or promote or go to another facility. These are the things that that you're thinking about as you, uh, this transfer of knowledge as you look to the candidate or candidates that you have in mind for your position. Responsibility, accountability, uh, projecting confidence, projecting authority, uh, demonstrating credibility. Um, Political awareness and political astuteness, especially in a a city or county environment where the library is part of a series of departments where you have to go in and and fight for dollars and fight for approval and fight for awareness from the elected officials and and the city management, county management um, uh, leaders. Um, Good decision-making, sound judgment, application of knowledge, application of of knowledge connected to human resources issues, understanding legal uh, matters connected to personnel, understanding the purpose and function of other departments besides your own, um, looking at innovation, looking at how we are more creative or need to be more creative, how we problem solve, how we analyze, how we goal set, how we strategize, how we we look towards not just fulfilling short-term goals, but long-term goals, which could be a year or two years down the road. and and looking for those opportunities that you are demonstrating to the person, looking for those opportunities to fill needs and do it without being told and fill needs for things that that are perhaps high in the priority list or sometimes kind of a shadow issue, which if it is is handled correctly, could have a a demonstrated uh, success impact on the library. More skill sets, ability to communicate, ability to communicate in groups, ability to run meetings effectively with, with goals and agendas and an actual closure to the meeting, which means that we don't have, an, have another meeting. The ability to communicate thoughts and ideas and, and instructions and policies, especially new policies, to a wide, wide variety of employee audience. Uh, making public presentations, the skill necessary to do that. Uh, being able to have interpersonal, p- professional relationships with subordinates and peers and other departments and other, other directors, supervisors, managers and leaders, people from other libraries, elected officials, uh, appointed officials, things like that that you may have to have a political relationship with and understand how what you do fits into their goals as well. How about um, uh, attitude? Enthusiasm, confidence, um, treating people fairly, humanely, with dignity. Uh, having a sense of humor, being uh, 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 having a sense of humility, being a humble person. Uh, consistency of approach. The biggest thing I have seen in my leadership career is that employees, especially young employees, get nervous if you're nervous. They are fearful if you are fearful. They are afraid if you are angry, especially angry at them. So what we are always trying to demonstrate from leadership position is even when things are not going perfectly well, I am exhibiting a sense of calm and and I'm collected and prepared and I provide information to people on an as-needed basis and I don't freak out, I don't lose my temper, I don't get impatient, I don't take it out on other people because when they see that I am feeling like there's some solutions that are eminent uh, and uh, possible and that I'm going to figure out what to do and we're going to figure out what to do then they feel confident in me but when we look at at, at leaders who lose their temper or get emotional or get frustrated with people or get a, impatient those are not skills that that d- create confidence in employees so part of your discussion w- in the mentorship relationship with the with the mentee is if they have that issue where they wear their heart on their sleeve or they get impatient or they get emotional or angry. Those are things that they're gonna to have to correct and fix because they need to set a standard of care, especially in stressful situations that they feel in control and that they feel confident that they know what to do and that they can give the sense of confidence to employees so that they know that we're gonna figure out what the solutions are and continue to go forward more skills being a team player participating in meetings and sharing ideas effectively being open to new ideas from other people even if it was not invented by the by the person being supportive of the of the unit goals the department goals the team goals the individual employee goals and how this connects to the strategic plan Um, looking at the budget process and being able to plan the budget for the entire year and having the acquired financial knowledge to be able to Um, Look at financials for the organization and interpret them and be able to speak about them with confidence. So last little piece here about succession planning. Make it a priority. Make succession planning a priority, especially if you are looking at your leaving the library system within the next two to three years. Create a leadership development bullpen, a bench, a series, a collection of employees that you feel is part of your talent pool that you're going to start to develop. It, it, it. The more that we have of those, there's kind of a sweet spot. 25 is too many, but two is is not enough. And so, who are the five or six or eight people that you say these are the folks that I'm looking forward to helping support with support from my coworkers and peer leaders to help these folks develop. These are the ones that are going to take over when we are not here. So it is a valuable process, it should be a valued process, it should be a, a systematic process, it should be a fair process. It, it, it can, you can get help and advice from HR but it's really up to you to figure out who you want in the right positions and what you want these folks to know and a good balance between their technical skills and their people skills. Their technical skills and their financial knowledge. Their technical knowledge and their general management or leadership skills. One way to do that is think about in the mentorship process, especially if you have multiple people on your mentorship list, is moving them around and giving them exposure to different departments. Say, you're gonna run this department for a while, you're gonna be in charge of this project for a while. As long as it's was in the course and scope of employment, it's not, it's not outside their job duties, uh, you can put your, especially your rising stars, into other departments temporarily so that they learn the totality of the business and they can come back to you with additional knowledge that will be useful when they look at taking over for you. So that is my discussion for the process of of succession planning as it is driven by the mentorship process and being a mentor is a valuable powerful thing to do and you may have had mentors in your career that you appreciate and still appreciate today. I have And when I think about those relationships, they lasted for a long time and there was respect and and there's this connection between the people to say, my function is to help you succeed. And also the byproduct of that is to help our industry, our business, our team, our group, our facility succeed as well. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security podcast.